Good morning. I don't know about you, but I was moved by that worship time. I'd like you to turn with me, if you have your Bibles, to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 is the longest chapter in this book. It's a chapter all about resurrection, not just the resurrection of Christ, but our resurrection. When we talk about resurrection, there are certain questions that people inevitably ask. One is, how is that going to happen? How is God going to take a body that's decomposed in the ground and resurrect it back into a body? And the other question is, what kind of body are we going to have? What's it going to be like? Well, those are not new questions. Those were questions that were asked of Paul 1,900 years ago. In fact, if you look at verse 35 of chapter 15, he says, But someone will say, How are the dead raised, and with what kind of body do they come? First question, how are the dead raised? How is God going to ever put that body back together? How is God going to find all the pieces of a dead body and put it back together. People often ask me what I think about cremation. The question behind the question is really, well, if you get cremated, how is God going to find all the right ashes to put it back together? Or what about the guy who dies at sea and his bones get washed all over the bottom of the ocean and a fish comes along and eats part of him? And then somebody catches the fish, and you're in a sushi bar. You eat the fish. How's God going to figure out this whole jigsaw puzzle of where everybody is? What about the person who is demolished in a wreck, or blown up in a bomb, or consumed in a fire, or has his ashes scattered over the sea, or just is dead so long that his body returns to the dust, does that mess up God's plan for resurrection? Roger Williams was the founder of the Rhode Island colony. After he had been dead for some time, they exhumed his body because they were going to rebury him in a different spot. They found a very unusual situation. The root of a nearby apple tree had penetrated the casket, penetrated his skull, gone down his spine, divided, and gone down each one of his legs. So all the chemicals of his body had been drawn into the tree and had become wood and leaves and fruit, apples, that the people had eaten. So unbeknownst to them, they were cannibals. (laughs) How does the resurrection come out of a situation like that? That's question number one. Question number two is what kind of body are we going to get? You say, am I still going to be overweight? Am I going to still have this big nose? Some of you are saying, will I ever get to dunk a basketball? Are we going to get to eat? Maybe that's why you're overweight. You keep asking that. 
Will we get to soar around the universe? What's that body going to be like? So Paul raises a couple of questions. How is God going to do this? And what kind of body will it be? You ever ask those questions? You ready for the answer? Look at verse 36. You fool. In other words, those are stupid questions. You say, well, that's not very nice. Well, I think we need to understand that these are not questions that he's assuming are being asked by believers. He's assuming they're being asked by skeptics. You remember, if you go back to verse 12 of chapter 15, he says, Now, if Christ is preached that he has been raised from the dead, how do some among you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? So these questions are coming from people who are not believing. They are skeptical. They are cynical. They are saying, obviously, there's no resurrection because how could God find all the pieces of a body and put it back together? And so Paul, even though he says they're silly questions, he's going to answer them in verses 36 to 42. And he does so by using three illustrations, three illustrations from nature. And this morning, we're going to look at lessons from agriculture, anatomy, astronomy, and then an application. First of all, agriculture, verses 36 to 38. Notice verse 36. You fool, that which you sow does not come to life unless it dies. Paul says, you're asking, how can someone die, put their body in the ground, and rise again? And Paul says, that's a foolish question because it's actually happening all around you in agriculture. A seed goes into the ground. What happens to it? It dies. It decomposes. It loses its consistency. But out of that death emerges life. That's a principle of nature. You should not be more surprised by the resurrection than you are by a harvest. Because in both cases, death produces life. See, our problem is that when it comes to miracles of nature, we're so familiar with them, they are so commonplace that we don't get excited about them. But if you could imagine that you had never seen a miracle of nature, and I stood up here today and said, held an acorn, and I said, you know what? I can take this acorn. I can stick it down into the ground. It can die, and it will produce an oak tree 100 feet tall. What would you say to me? You're nuts. Or if I had a kernel of corn, I said, you know what? I can take this. Well, I probably can't because I can't farm. I could take this kernel of corn. I could put it down in the ground. It will die. Out will come a stalk with all kinds of ears of corn all over it, and you can eat those ears of corn. Does that sound ridiculous? That's happening all around us in nature. It's happening in agriculture. And yet if we had not seen that, we would say, that could never happen. We see it all around us, and yet when it comes to the resurrection, God says, guess what? You're going to die. Your body's going to go into the ground. And one day, life is going to come forth. And you say, no way. That couldn't happen. 
Paul says we need to learn lessons from farming. Number one, death is necessary before there can be life. Principle number two, the plant is different than the seed. Look at verse 37. And that which you sow, you do not sow the body which is to be, but a bare grain, perhaps of wheat or of something else. When you plant a grain of wheat, what springs to life? A big grain of wheat? No. Something different. You see, his point is, the body that emerges is different than the body that is planted. It's connected, but it's different. You sow a seed, you get a plant. One day when this body dies and is planted in the ground, what's going to come out of the ground? The same body? No. It's going to be different. It's going to be as different as a seed is to a plant. So you see, it's not necessary for God to find all the little pieces. I will be raised in a new body one day, a glorified body. There is a relationship between the two bodies, and yet they're not the same. And the best example of that for us is Christ. He was raised in a body, the same body, and yet it was a different body. It had the wounds in it, and yet if you read about the post-resurrection appearances of Christ, people didn't even recognize him sometimes unless he let them. He would appear, he would vanish, he would go through walls, he eventually went through the heavens in that body. It was the same body, and yet it was a different body. So principle number two from agriculture, the body that emerges is different from the body that's planted. Third principle, God chooses what the body looks like. Look at verse 38. But God gives it a body just as he wished. It's all in God's hands. It's his miracle. When it comes to passing out bodies, God can do anything he wants to do. If God can give a body to a seed, he can give a new body to your body. Now, this is one of the reasons I don't get hung up on this issue. I mean, this verse really answers everything. This would be enough to answer all the questions. God does whatever God wants to do. You know, that should satisfy us right there. God does whatever he wants to do, whether I can figure it out or not. And yet, even though he tells us that, he still helps us try to figure it out because he says, it's happening all around you. Just look at nature. Look at a seed. You're seeing resurrection happen all through nature, and it's going to happen in your life as well. But it's a God thing. Just as I can't take a seed and produce a plant, God does that. I can't take my body and produce that new body. It's God's thing, and he does it the way he wants to do it. And then principle, in fact, the, the people in life that have more faith than anybody else are farmers because they take seed that they pay money for and by faith they throw it into the ground, which seems very wasteful. And then they pray for rain and depend on God that he's going to send rain at the right time to cause that seed to grow up. And become. They have no control over that. It's all by faith. Throw a seed into the ground, absurd. 
cover it up, let it die, and it's going to come out and be fruitful because God does that. And then the fourth principle is that every seed gets its own body. The end of verse 38 says, and to each of the seeds a body of its own. You put a tomato seed in the ground, you're going to get a tomato plant. You put a bald cypress seed into the ground, you're going to get a bald cypress tree. You put a chili pepper seed into the ground, you're crazy. But you're going to get a chili plant. You put a red delicious apple seed into the ground, what's going to come out? A red delicious apple tree. They're all different. They're all unique. So what's the question? How could the dead rise and with what kind of bodies? And Paul says, learn the principles, first of all, from agriculture. There must be death before there can be life. The body that rises is different than the body that is sown. God chooses what the body looks like, and each body is unique. And then he switches to anatomy in verse 39. Notice, all flesh is not the same flesh, but there is one flesh of men and another flesh of beasts and another flesh of birds and another of fish. You say, well, it's got to be the same body. The same body that goes into the grave has got to be the same body that God brings out of the grave. And Paul says, why? God has made all kinds of bodies. Don't limit God. All flesh is not the same flesh. If it were, when you went to the restaurant and ordered a steak and you got fish instead, you wouldn't know the difference. Remember, the, you know the person that you're always talking to, you say, well, what did it taste like? And they go, chicken. Well, they would be right. Everything would taste like chicken if all flesh was the same flesh. I am told that there are an infinite combina- number of combinations of amino acids, that I have my little set of amino acids and you have yours, and there are no two alike, and that's what the, makes the distinction in all of us in our bodies. We, that, that's what makes some people have nice hair and other people not so nice. That's what uh, makes wrinkles, makes the size of your feet, the growth pattern, the skin color. I went to a skin class at a conference one time, and they told me I'm autumn. Hasn't helped me much to know that, but I like to talk about it. God is the author of uniqueness. You just have to look around. There are no two stars alike, no two flowers alike, no two blades of grass alike, no two snowflakes are even alike. No two, even identical twins are not exactly alike because each one has his own set of amino acids. And then there are various groups of flesh. There's man, there's animal, there's birds, there are fish, and they are distinct. And they don't cross over, which is one of the great evidences against the theory of evolution. One kind of flesh doesn't jump to another category of flesh. See, no matter what you eat, you're still you. You could eat 
Kentucky Fried Chicken for the next 10 years and you wouldn't grow one single feather. Because you are you. And flesh does not cross over to other flesh. That's the idea behind evolution, that a snake became a bird. He got up on a tree and he started wishing he was a bird, wishing he could fly, and after about a million years, he took off. Doesn't happen that way. God has created variety and distinction. Now, what's he saying about the resurrection? He's saying that God has no problem with creativity. When God manufactures, he's not stuck on a single model. He makes everything different. So don't assume when God raises you, he's got to raise you exactly like you were the first time. God is creative, and God likes diversity. So with what kind of body will we rise? I can't tell you exactly, but it's going to be unique. And then thirdly, he turns to astronomy in verses 40 and 41. He says in verse 40, There are also heavenly bodies and earthly bodies, but the glory of the heavenly is one and the glory of the earthly is another. There are two kinds of bodies. There are earthly bodies and heavenly bodies, and if you've paid much attention, there's a lot of difference in the two. There's a big difference between the glory of a flower and the glory of the sun. There's a big difference between the glory of your body and a comet. So what he's saying is, in the resurrection, the body's going to be different, and the glory of the resurrection body is going to far exceed anything you've ever experienced in your earthly body here. So principle number one, heavenly bodies are different than earthly bodies. And then there's a second principle in verse 41. There is one glory of the sun and another glory of the moon and another glory of the stars, for one star differs from another star in glory. What's he saying? Not only are heavenly bodies different than earthly bodies, but heavenly bodies are different from each other. They differ in glory. Now, we consider the sun to be glorious. In fact, a lot of times I love to go to the beach and just bask in the sun's glory. But of the stars we even know about, which we don't know what percentage that is, the sun is really not that impressive. My, my favorite star is just the one that I remember, and I don't even know if I pronounce it right, but I like my pronunciation. It's Betelgeuse. Betelgeuse is a thousand times bigger than our sun. Now, just to give you an idea, that would be like if I had a basketball up here and I said, this is Betelgeuse. Next to Betelgeuse would be the sun. The sun would be a tiny marble next to Betelgeuse. And then if you wanted to put our earth on a scale next to that basketball, you just have to take your pen out and put one little tiny dot because that would be the earth in contrast. And he's saying as you look in the sky, you see what God has created in the heavens and they are different in terms of their glory. What's he saying? He's saying when we get a resurrection body, it's going to be so different from this body. It's going to be a glorified body. And you won't want to go back 
to the earthly body when you get that heavenly body. Which brings us to the application. Notice verse 42. He says, so also is the resurrection of the dead. Seeds vary, plants vary, earthly bodies vary, heavenly bodies vary, and his point is that resurrection bodies will have a glory all their own. What can we say about them? Our resurrection bodies will be different from our bodies here, and our resurrection bodies will be different from each other. When we get to heaven, will we all be like Christ? Yes. 1 John 3, 2 says, when he appears, we will be like him. When we get to heaven, we will all be like Christ. Does that mean we'll all look like him? I don't think so. Remember on the Mount of Transfiguration, Jesus was there? And for just a moment... God let his glory show. Who was there with him? Moses and Elijah. Now, how did the disciples know it was Moses and Elijah? I've heard people say they were wearing name tags. How did they know it was Moses and Elijah? Because though they were in glorified bodies, they didn't look exactly like Christ. They looked uniquely different. In the Old Testament, God says over and over again, I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. They had died long ago, but they were still Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. You see, you will not lose your identity. You will not lose your individuality. You will not lose your personality. You will still be you in a glorified body. And in that glorified body, you will be distinct from everyone else. So Paul raises these two questions. How are the dead raised? How is God going to take people who have died and find all the pieces and put them back together again? And Paul's answer is simply this. Resurrection is all around you. You just need to open your eyes. Seeds go into the ground and die every day. And what happens? They come forth in life. The second question, what kind of body will we have? And his answer is this, your new body will be different from this body, just as a seed is different from the plant. And your new body will be different from everyone else's new body. So let me close by asking a more important question. When you die, are you going to be buried Or are you going to be planted? Are you going to be buried and that's the end? Or are you going to be planted to rise in resurrection life one day? Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even if he dies. So the question is really, Have you put your faith in Jesus Christ? Is he in you and are you in him? Because if you are, Jesus says you'll live even if you die. When you die, you're going to be planted like a seed in the ground, awaiting that day 
when Jesus comes back and the dead in Christ shall rise first. If you've never entrusted your life to Jesus Christ, then I invite you to do so today. With the authority of the word of God, I invite you to come to faith in Jesus Christ. That's all it takes. Simple childlike faith to embrace him. Just as we saw in that song earlier, take your sin and let him take it off of you. You can't pull it off yourself, but he'll take it away. He'll make you a new creature and he will give you eternal life, which will mean that even if you die, you will rise in life with him. As you think about those things, and if you are a believer, as you celebrate the fact that you have that promise of eternal life, I'm going to have the praise team come back, and they're going to lead us in worship as we stand and close our service together.